prophet Isaiah, chapter 6. You think about Mother's Day and all the exciting things. Uh, Mary and I, in the time that we're spending a lot of time together, you've been married 46 years and suddenly for a couple of months you're just together all the time, you realize, hmm, good things, good things, and sometimes difficult things. But for example, I haven't had a haircut in two months. Now in some parts of my head, that doesn't matter. But in the back, it's about to drive me crazy. So I was, uh, Mary and I have decided this week that I told her, I said, either we're going to go out in the yard and you're going to shave my head or, or uh, we got to do something. So I'm going to fall asleep on the weed eater. Something's got to happen. She said, no, you, your hair looks really good. And we've decided we're going to bring back something from the 80s. The bald-headed guy with the mullet. Because I can grow a whole lot of hair back here. I can grow it long and thick and... It's driving me crazy, and it gets down in, in my ears. I don't know if that's hair growing out of my ears, or that's the hair growing down over my ears, but it's driving me crazy. Uh, yesterday, I was outside sitting in the driveway reading, and my next-door neighbor was out there just sitting with uh, some of her friends that come over to see her. her both her parents died. I think I shared it with you last week. Both her parents died the same day a couple of weeks ago, and her parents lived with her, and and so she was just sitting out in her driveway, and she had four or five friends that had come, and they were just sitting around talking. And, and I went inside. I came back outside. I got, every couple of hours, I had to go outside to either shoot basketball or just walk around or read or something. So I came back outside, and I was uh, working a little bit in my front yard, just uh, looking at flower beds and figuring something else that I could do. And I looked over there, and she, she had a, one of the friends was cutting her hair in the driveway, and I, I said, you know, Mary's inside, and she won't know if I just go over there and slip them $20 and say, please, shave my head. And then I can go back inside and say, Mary, I don't know how this happened. Then I, the, uh, I realized that I like being married, and, and I like uh, having a, a home to go into, and I decided that uh, that probably wouldn't be a good idea. So, Mother's Day, it is uh, thrilling to think about how special our moms are. One of the things we've been doing, Mary and I have been doing while we're at home is going over, like going through old stuff and we've rearranged furniture, we've cleaned rooms, we've, we've uh, uh, done about all you can do in your home. And so one of the things we were doing was getting out old pictures and just going through and looking at them and saying, okay, throw this one away and keep this one or... Uh, you don't look good in that one. You better get rid of it. I've got, got this thing that, that I drew. I don't even know if they do it anymore, but I was in, I don't know, first grade, second grade, something, where you draw a caricature of yourself, and it's like, and my mom, think about Mother's Day, and that's how this came about, and my mom, if she were on the video today, she would, if we were talking about my mom, she would simply say that Randy was the light of my life. And I had two siblings, but she would have said Randy is the light of my life. But anyway, we were going through this, and I found this thing. She had framed it and kept it, and it was all dirty and nasty and you know, yellow, and, and Mary said, we just got to get rid of that. And I said, well, you didn't get rid of it. Look, look how good I look. She, I, I drew that myself. She said, that's, that's one of them. We'll put that in the, the trash pile. And so I did, and then later on, I went and removed it and stuck it somewhere. Oh, I wonder if Mary's going to watch this. Probably not. All right. 
But I, I, um, I was thinking about my mom and how special it is and, and uh, that God brings certain people into your life. Obviously, your parents, you don't, you don't get a choice. They're who they are. But uh, my mom was such a special love for me. And, and I think about Mary as my wife and how God just 50 years ago we met and how God orchestrated us in his, his sovereign will, bringing us together. And three years after we met, we're married. And two years later, we have uh, children. And, 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 and looking back, how quickly 46 years goes by. And one of the things I've discovered during this time of, of being at home, all of the isolation, and is watching how much Mary loves her children and her grandchildren and not seeing them and not being with them. It just, it just aches. She aches in her soul. She loves. And you think about a mom's love and just how special that is for you. And it's a reminder we're going to talk, start talking about love next week in our series on who's your daddy, that when the Bible says God is love, how special that particular attribute of God is as he manifests himself in our lives and then through our lives. And one of, that, one of the ways is, is through your mom, that, that unconditional, sacrificial for those of you that are moms and you, you think about, and for those of us who see it within our wives or in our moms, how, how much they give up so that we can prosper and we can enjoy life and, and, and we don't hurt and they take the pain and they take the sacrifice so we can just do what we need to do, whether it's a wife or a mom or a grandmother's, what a special relationship that is. And, it's a, it's a small picture, but a very beautiful one of how much God loves us, that relationship of a mom to her children. If you think about it, just one example, and then we'll move into what we're going to talk about today, is that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the seven last words of the phrases that Jesus utters from the cross, one of them is, it is finished, that great thing about the sin debt, and then he says to the, the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise anyway. One of those even as he's being tortured to death, Jesus pauses and makes sure his mom is taken care of. Even in the dark. Or the light. Your mom's just always there. Caring, loving, making sure that you're taken care of. He's dying in agony, physical pain. And he says to John, you take care of my mom. Here, and to her, you let John take care of you. Even as he's dying for the sin debt of the world. So today what I want us to focus on is our response. If you'll turn to Isaiah 6, we're going to start in verse 5. What I really want to focus on today is our response when we realize the holiness of our God. We were talking about last week, God is holy. And that amazing attribute and what I want to look at today, starting in verse 5, is the second part of that outline of God is holy, is that where does that bring me as a human being? Where does that bring me as one created by God who is holy? Specifically, where does it bring me as a child of God in understanding that the holiness of God, he expresses that to me in so many ways 
What's my response? We saw in verses one through four, we're just going to read those and then we'll get into verse five. Isaiah six, one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And that's what we dealt with last week. That Isaiah was given this vision of the holiness of God. He saw the incredible majesty of God, that he's unique. Nothing compares with him, that he's absolutely pure, that he's sovereign over all, he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere, and that his command to us in response to his holiness, and Peter repeats it in his first epistle, is be holy, God says. His command to us is you be holy because I am holy. So when you get to verse 5, you begin to see Isaiah's response and what needs to be our response when we find ourselves in the presence of a holy God. And remember, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere simultaneously. And so wherever I am and in whatever pit I find myself or a mountain I might be on, God is there. He is omnipresent. So in the met, in the Midst of being in his presence and seeing his holiness, what's my response? Well, the first thing you notice in verse 5 is that I'm miserable. Now, what does that mean? You notice the misery of man, verse 5. So Isaiah, I said, Isaiah, I said, woe is me, for I am undone, exclamation point. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. Remember, he's coming out of seeing this vision of God high and lifted up in the majesty of God. And Isaiah said, as seeing that majesty, he realized, I have a wicked heart and I'm worthy of destruction. I'm not worthy of the holiness of this God. And I'm a man of unclean lips. I, he saw in the midst of holiness, and it, it's a phrase you see throughout Scripture. So many times we misunderstand it. This is when he realizes the fear of the Lord. That I'm worthy of being destroyed because I'm a man of unclean lips. Humanity around me, we're all people of unclean lips. We're not worthy of this holiness, this God. We're worthy of destruction. We have wicked hearts. That's who we are. And so when you're in the fear of the Lord, and that phrase that's used in light of someone who is a child of God, it means I realize I'm in awe of who my God is, our series title, my daddy. I'm in just awe. And the second thing that it reminds you is you're in awe of who your dad is, your God. But secondly, you're just overwhelmed that he loves me enough to show me grace and save me. That he reached down and provided redemption for me. One worthy of destruction for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But God has said the wages of sin is death, separation from God, eternal destruction. But I, God, have given you the gift of eternal life. 
through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That I'm a sinner. Peter was praying about it earlier. I'm a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy. Yet God says, you're right. You're not worthy. But I'll take your place. I'll come down and provide redemption for you. And you simply have to trust the work that I, God, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, will do for you at the cross. You repent, you trust me, and I will give you victory over that destruction. I will give you a clean heart in Christ. So let's begin to walk through this idea, I have a wicked heart and I'm worthy of destruction. Notice again in verse 5, the first thing he says is, woe is me. I am undone. Anytime you see the phrase, woe is me in scripture, you see it in Revelation, you see it in Matthew chapter uh, 23. Anytime you see that phrase, woe is me, it means you realize God is the ultimate and the final judge and I'm in trouble. Jesus said to the Pharisees, woe, woe, woe. You better wake up and realize that you're going to stand before a holy God and you are not worthy. And in the Revelation, it talks about woe, woe, woe. And the judgment of God and the wrath of God is poured out. Isaiah, as he sees the vision of the holiness of God, realizes, I'm in trouble if it weren't for the, the grace of my God. When he says, woe is me, there in verse 5, and he says, I am undone, the Hebrew means I'm out of options. I'm cut off. I'm destroyed. The idea is I am so in comparison to the holiness of God, I am so unholy. The term we use in evangelical Christianity and have forever is I'm lost. I'm a sinner without hope except for this God who is holy. The Apostle Paul described himself this way. I am the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the saints. I am chief among sinners when he realized and saw the holiness of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he would later write about himself. I don't, I'm not deserving, if you look at study Paul's life, which we did, he realized he wasn't, but also realized I'm not. Cheap among sinners, and yet God saved me, Paul, and gave me this incredible ministry. Peter writes this, when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter didn't write that, that was his response. When he sees Jesus perform one of his miracles, he says, depart from me, I'm not worthy. John Calvin wrote these words about this. Men are, are never duly touched and impressed with the conviction of insignificance until they've confronted themselves with the majesty of God. When I come face to face with God's holiness and his majesty, I realize, as Isaiah says, I'm undone. I have no hope outside this holy God. He describes it again. I'm a man of unclean lips. Just context-wise for a moment, I want you to think about this phrase. Historical context. Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. We talked about this last week. But the most important part of a prophet's mouth is what? His lips. Because he was to speak to the people the word of God. 
And for the last years of the life of King Uzziah, we talked about this last week, he, God had struck him with leprosy because of his disobedience and his pride before God, and God struck Uzziah with leprosy. And so anytime anyone came around Uzziah for the last years of his life, what did he have to do with his lips? He had to say, unclean, unclean, I am a leper, don't come near me. I'm not worthy of your presence. I've got something that you don't want. Unclean. So in the context here, and, and Uzziah was by and large, as we said last week, a good king. A good king. And so they were wondering, what, what are we going to do? Jotham, his son, he's not going to be able to reign like Uzziah. And so God gives Isaiah this vision of the king of kings and said, yeah, I know Uzziah's gone, but I am your king. And so now, Isaiah, in seeing that, realizes when I, a prophet, speak, I speak the words of God. And yet, my lips are defiled. I'm a man of unclean lips, and it means literal in the Hebrew, impure or polluted. Look at verse 5 again. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell on the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. I've seen God, and I realize I'm a man of unclean lips. Jesus put it this way. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They defile a man. Those are my words. James, in his epistle, says this. The tongue is a fire, the world of iniquity. The tongue is so is set among our members that it defiles the whole body, and it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by Hell. So many times we hurt others in our personal testimony by what we say. Now, it may not be an audible voice, but it could be something you type. Where did that come from? Jesus said it all begins with who you are spiritually. Are you encouraging by what you tweet, by what you send out, what you say? What you write, are you encouraging? Are you loving? Are you just selfish, prideful? It's about me. Jesus said it all begins with the heart, as a man is in his heart. So he speaks. That I need to look at you and I need to look at others and say, how can I lovingly encourage that person? What can I say that might lift them up? How can I be compassionate Instead of, how can I use that person? How can I put them down? How can I hurt them? How can I get something from them rather than serving them? Isaiah is realizing his sinfulness. And so what God wants us to do in an applicable way, I can always find, I've said this many times, I can always find another human being to compare myself to and make myself feel good about me. I can say, well, I'm not as bad as Mike. <laughs> I got an amen. And I'm much better than Peter. We all know that. But what God wants us to understand is, I want, he's, he's saying through Isaiah, and Isaiah experienced it, I want you to see my holiness and realize 
that you can't attain to that. That you're a person of unclean lips. Now, your goal is to be holy. That's God's command to us. And to allow the Christ in me to come out. That my standard is the holiness that I want people to see God. I want people to see Christ. And so I look at them, even my enemies, Jesus taught us, that I look at them and say, how can I bless you? How can I pray for you? How can I reach out to you? What can I do for you? Even if I don't want to. Because that's what Jesus Christ would do. The standard is not me comparing myself to Mike or Peter. The standard is me comparing myself to Jesus and realizing, oh man, I fall woefully short, pardon the pun, woefully short, and I need to repent. Even as a believer, I need to repent and be more Christ-like. The standard is the holiness of God. And so what happened with Isaiah is what should happen to us as Christians is that presence of God that he was in. He sees that holiness. And where is the presence of God right now in the life of a believer? It indwells us. Not only is God omnipresent everywhere in the universe, he's also indwelling us. That's his tabernacle. The temple of the Holy Spirit is the church. So that presence of God in our lives, individually and corporately, should bring us to our knees and saying, Lord, forgive me. Yes, I'm forgiven in Christ positionally, but I'm sorry. I want to be a more effective witness for you is what Isaiah is saying. I want to be a prophet that God is pleased with. The prophet Habakkuk wrote these words. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He wrote those words, end quote. He wrote those words after he had demanded from God as the prophet. He was looking around and he was seeing a lot of negativity and he demanded from God an answer. And God said, I will answer. And as God answers him, Habakkuk says, I hear. My body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. When he realized he was making demands of a holy God. As opposed to saying, woe is me, like Isaiah, Lord, what do you want me to say and do? Habakkuk saw it as well. God's desire from us as his children specifically in response to his holiness is he wants us to be humble before him. The source of all sin, whatever it might be, go back to the Garden of Eden where it all began. The source of all sin is pride. Satan was, was thrown out of heaven because he said, I, 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 I will ascend. I will put my throne above that of the Most High God. I will be God. And he was thrown out of heaven, along with a third of the angels. Adam and Eve, their sin was, I like the looks of that fruit. I think that fruit will be good for me. I will eat that fruit. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. I, it's all about me. And God says what I want it's for you to realize it's not about you, Randy. It's about them. It's about others. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter wrote, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed where humility 
4, and then Peter quotes the Old Testament, God resists, resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Be humble. Repent before God because you're a man or a woman of misery. But here's the point. As a Christian, what makes me a Christian in the first place is I come to God and I realize I'm a man or a woman of unclean lips. I need God to redeem me. I come to him in humility and say, Lord, I'm a sinner like the thief on the cross. Will you save me? And his answer is, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he reaches down and he saves me. I come to him in humility. But again, as Christians, as we grow and as we do life, sometimes we get comfortable and satisfied and we stop looking at the holiness of God and we just focus on what I want as opposed to, Lord, what do you want for Randy and Randy's life? How can it glorify you in this moment and in tomorrow? So then the next point is, please notice, this is so beautiful, verse 6. After Isaiah admits, I'm a man of unclean lips, woe is me, what am I going to do? I deserve destruction. Look at verse 6, so beautiful. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, to Isaiah, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged or paid for. Notice the very first word in verse 6. Then. Man, please don't miss this. It's so beautiful. At his lowest moment, when he realizes I've seen the majesty and the holiness of God and I've had it. I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Then, in that moment, God sends him forgiveness. You see that? The seraphim flies to him with a live coal from the altar. That's the altar of incense burning before the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, but right just outside the veil. He brings him a live, hot coal from that altar. Please notice this. Not, notice the metaphor. His hand, a live coal, which would be hot. He'd take it with his tongs from the altar. Tongs, it's hot. He touched my mouth with it. Why his mouth? What has he just been crying out? I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. He takes that hot coal from the, before the very presence of God and touches Isaiah's lips, which he's been saying, I'm a man of unclean And notice it doesn't burn Isaiah's lips. He says, you know your lips that are unclean, Isaiah? What does fire do? Anytime you see it in scripture, and even as we use fire now in many cases, what does fire do? It purifies. Do you see the beauty of this message? You're right, Isaiah, you're a man of unclean lips, but I, God, will provide cleansing for your lips. I'll provide redemption. I'll provide forgiveness. As he desperately sees himself, God shows him mercy. That's verses 6 and 7. God shows him mercy. Isaiah is realizing his desperate need for grace, atonement, forgiveness, his personal sinfulness. Assumes responsibility for his sin. I am a man of unclean lips. Immediately, 
God sends him the gift of atonement and forgiveness. The two things he desperately needed, God gave him. Please, again, don't miss this. Isaiah needs atonement, somebody to pay for his sin, a covering, and he needs forgiveness. God sends it to him immediately as he cries out and owns it. What did Isaiah do to get that? What did he do? Absolutely nothing. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gives to Isaiah the thing he could not buy. He couldn't get anywhere else. The holy God that he just saw, the glimpse of, gives him his greatest need. Atonement, forgiveness with the live coal. Touches those unclean lips. I love to meditate on scripture and think about this. He touches those unclean lips. And now they're what? They're clean. Because God cleansed them. So now Isaiah is a clean vessel that can speak forth the word of God. Because he's been cleansed. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes this. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Isaiah didn't earn it, so he said he couldn't buy it. There was nothing he could do. He was undone. And God said, here, I'm going to cleanse your lips. Because notice the very next thing. Look at verse 7 again. Behold, this has touched your lips. Free gift of God. God reaches down and does it. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged or atoned. The word in Hebrew means atoned for. Your iniquity is forgiven. Your sins are atoned for. We've seen many times in Scripture and God says he remembers them no more. Now Isaiah, you're clean. Now notice the next thing. God says, you're clean. And so now I've got a job for you. Assuming we can read it. Look at verse 8. Maybe we can't read it. There it is. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, verse 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Could Isaiah have said that two minutes before? A minute before? Would he have said, here I am, Lord, send me. The man of unclean lips. Woe is me. I am undone. I'm ready to go. Let's hit it, Lord. No, he didn't think that he was worthy. You ever felt that way? Boy, I have. But God says, I've cleansed you. Your sins are atoned for. You're forgiven. Now, I need somebody to go out and tell people about that, Isaiah, and you're my chosen vessel. I hope you see the application. You're not perfect, but you are forgiven in Christ, and your sins are atoned for. He paid the price. He set you free, and he's got a mission for you, and that's verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord. God cleansed him for a purpose. He saw God, and now he hears God. God says, here's my call. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us as a cleansed vessel? Not all theologians agree, but it really doesn't matter because they're wrong and I'm right. I believe when he says here, who will go for us, that he's talking about the Trinity, plural pronoun. He just saw the majesty of God. 
He just talked about atonement and forgiveness, and he said, who's going to go for us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? So if you agree, disagree that it's a trinity, I can understand that. Us could, could mean just everybody. I understand that. But I think in this particular context, I think he's talking about the trinity. Who will go for us? And I love what Isaiah says. Here am I, send me, exclamation point. He had just experienced grace. Please, again, get this message. He just experienced grace, forgiveness, clean lips now. And what was his response? Lord, I'm so grateful. Here am I, send me. I remember, I've shared it, I won't go back and share all of it, but I remember when I got saved at 16, 50 years ago as a teenager, and it was such a radical, and I was so grateful. But throughout high school and, and into college, I just couldn't wait to talk to people. And I realized I have a goofy personality, and I'll talk to anybody but I, I love to talk about Jesus. I still love to this day. But there have been times in my life when I was not as excited about Jesus and the gospel as I was when I first got saved. And I realized what God had given to me. I need to never forget that. You've heard me say this many times, and I hope it, it encourages you. In your prayer life, if you don't do anything else, just get down every day and thank God that he saved you. Think about what he saved you from and saved you to. And the hope and the peace and the joy that you have in the midst of even a coronavirus pandemic is, yeah, it's awful, but I'm in Christ. I'm going to be okay. And go tell people about that Jesus who loved them, gave himself for them. So Isaiah accepts the picture, man's acceptance Isaiah saw the majesty of God. He saw his own personal misery. He received the mercy of God. And then he surrendered to God's mission for him. D.L. Moody, the great preacher and founder of Moody Bible Institute, said this, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. That which I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. End quote. You don't have to be a great speaker, theologian. You simply have to be a surrendered vessel. Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm undone. And God said, here, you're clean. Now, will you go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. Last point, Isaiah's message, verse 9. He said, go and tell this, tell this people, keep on hearing Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. Return and be healed. There's a lot there that we're not, in this particular message, we're not focusing on. Here's the deal. Isaiah's message was, wake up. You keep hearing, you keep hearing, but you're not listening You see what God has done, but you're not paying attention. God's offering forgiveness and God's offering hope. And you're going to miss it if you don't wake up. I guarantee you, you could think about in your own personal family, you know people that need to hear this message. You know the gospel, you've heard it over and over and over again. 
You're not responding. You need to wake up. Tony Evans, a great preacher from Dallas, says one of the things that God is doing in the midst of this pandemic is saying to Christians and to others, wake up. It's not the only thing that's going on. Don't misunderstand me, but it's part of it. Wake up. Where are your priorities? If you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you could, there are certain things you can't control. One of them is life and death. You better wake up. So he's saying to Isaiah, tell them. Here's the last thing I want you to note. This is from John chapter 12. It's so beautiful again. John chapter 12. Just want to, Please listen closely and I'll be done. But although he, Jesus, had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. These are people who saw him performing miracles. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke. He's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw God's glory and spoke of him. I hope you see this. That's John chapter 12, talking about Jesus of Nazareth. You know, and he quotes this passage and another one from Isaiah that we just read and another one from Isaiah. And here's what he said. When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up sitting on the throne, he saw Jesus of Nazareth. He saw God. Jesus was God. He said, Jesus does all these miracles and they still aren't paying attention. They still don't believe. Jesus himself said, even if a man comes back from the dead, they're not going to believe. That's where we are as a culture today. So here's my encouragement to you, my challenge to you in the midst of this pandemic or anything else. Pray, pray, pray. Look for ways maybe outside the box to reach out to other people. And tell them about your dad, whether it's email or text or social media or phone calls or whatever it might be. Pray. Seek God's will for you. Don't despair. Don't give up. Learn from church history. Paul three times begged God to remove his thorn in the flesh. What did God say? No. No. No, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And then Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When everybody around us is weak, what do we have that non-believers don't have? And other Christians sometimes forget. We have hope. And we have the presence of the omnipotent God of the universe in us. We need to look for ways to share that. Maybe different ways. Maybe different ways. Because people, many are terrified. And Christians don't live with the spirit of fear. We need to see the majesty of our God. If you'll notice in scripture, every time people saw God high and lifted up or saw a glimpse of his glory, they fell on their face before him, not back on their face forward before him in worship. I need to bow my heart before God, then get up and realize I'm forgiven and I'm clean 
And I want to be the vessel that God sends. Would you bow your heads? We're going to pray together, and then I want to share with you what we're going to do. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he, he not only came and died and made atonement and forgiveness possible, that he is the great eternal God of the universe who is high and lifted up. I pray we see his holiness, his majesty daily. Maybe if it's just looking at our creation. I'm standing out in my driveway about a week ago with two of my grandchildren in the car with Beth, and we're just talking, and it's getting dusk, and little Emerson, who loves, just, she's so sweet and so intelligent. She looks up in the sky, and she says, you can see the Milky Way, and she takes her little camera out and takes a picture of it, and I thought that moment, we look up and we see the Milky Way, and God says, just a reminder, I'm here, and I got this. We love you, Father, and we just pray you'd use us as Christians to share with our world the God who is real. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you guys?